In the year 52 BC, the Roman general Julius Caesar fought the last major battle in the conquest of Gaul. The implications of the battle have reverberated throughout history and can still be felt in the world today. But the real story isn't the implications of the battle, but how it was won. It was one of the most audacious gambles in military history, and it worked. Learn more about the Battle of Elysia, one of the greatest feats of tactical military genius in history, on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by The Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing brews delicious craft beers that just happen to be non-alcoholic. Athletic Brewing founders Bill and John are craft beer lovers who wanted to cut back on alcohol without compromising on flavor. But the interesting flavors that they loved in other craft beers just weren't available in non-alcoholic beer. So, they brewed the beer that they wanted to drink. It turns out there are a lot of others looking to moderate or abstain, but are still thirsty for great beer. Order their amazing beers at athleticbrewing.com. You can get free shipping on every order of two six-packs or more, and you can save 15% by using the code EVERYTHING15 at checkout. Once again, that's athleticbrewing.com, coupon code EVERYTHING15. During the period of the Roman Republic, the area we now know as France was called Gaul. The Gauls had a special place in the Roman psyche. Over 300 years earlier, in 390 BC, a tribe of Gauls entered Italy and sacked Rome. The sack of Rome by the Gauls created a deep-seated fear of Gaul amongst the Romans. 
Other than a thin strip of land along the Mediterranean coast, the Romans left most of Gaul alone for most of the period of the Republic. In the years after the sack of Rome, periodic raids by Gauls into Italy caused the Romans to resort to human sacrifice, which was something they otherwise never engaged in. It was in this environment that Julius Caesar, after he was finished in his term as consul, was sent to be the proconsul of the Roman provinces of Cisalpine Gaul, which was in northern Italy, and Transalpine Gaul, which was the Roman-controlled part of southern France. Caesar came into the position highly in debt, having spent lavishly to attain the consulship. It was now that his time in office was over that he was going to cash in. Most proconsuls would go to a province and make money off of the -the run-of-the-mill corruption and squeezing people with high taxes. Caesar, however, was much more ambitious. Much more ambitious. He began waging an unauthorized war with all the tribes in Gaul. He used a lot of trumped-up charges to justify his wars. He raised legions, developed logistical trains to support his units, played different Gallic tribes against each other, and basically took advantage of their highly ununified tribal system. Caesar also used his victories against the Gauls for massive propaganda purposes. Caesar's commentaries on the Gallic Wars was written by himself in the third person. They were periodically sent to Rome where they served as news updates for the citizenry. The result was that they made Caesar incredibly popular. After several years of constant losses to the Romans, the Gauls eventually wised up and started to unify. They elected a single person who would lead them in battle, Vercingetorix. The Gauls actually had a significant numerical advantage. They were fighting on their home turf, and they didn't need long supply chains. After the selection of Vercingetorix as their leader, the Gauls went on a rampage, killing Roman merchants, settlers, and smaller military units. Word took time to reach Caesar, who was wintering in Cisalpine Gaul, but when he heard about the tribes uniting, he headed back into Gaul. On his return, he had very serious supply issues, and he decisively lost a battle at Gergovia. In Gergovia, Vercingetorix was holed up in a fortified town, and he beat Caesar back when Caesar tried to take the town by force. Vercingetorix then went to the fortified town of Alesia, which is where this story really begins. Alesia was built on a hilltop, and like Gergovia, was heavily fortified. Vercingetorix was hoping that Caesar was going to make the same mistake he did in Gergovia. Caesar had somewhere between 60,000 and 75,000 men, which included Roman legions, as well as allies from Germanic tribes. Vercingetorix had approximately 80,000 men besieged inside of Alesia. Caesar didn't attack Alesia. Instead, Caesar got to work building fortifications. A lot of fortifications. Roman legions weren't just highly disciplined fighters, but were also very skilled in engineering. In fact, they spent far more time building camps and fortifications than they ever did fighting. They built over 25 miles worth of fortifications, completely surrounding the hill city of Alesia. They built a wooden fence, 23 towers, trenches, anti-cavalry traps, as well as trenches for the infantry. It was a well-built structure that would be very difficult to break through, and everything was aimed at the forces inside the town. This was a massive effort and required chopping down a significant part of the forest around Alesia. The entire effort took about a month. Vercingetorix tried to disrupt construction by sending out sorties on horseback, but it wasn't sufficient. Caesar wanted to starve out Vercingetorix. In addition to the 80,000 men he had inside Alesia, there were also women and children in the town as well. They all had to be fed and supplies were limited. Vercingetorix, however, had sent out messengers before the siege started to gather all of the tribes to have them come to Alesia to relieve the town and crush the Romans. 
It was now a waiting game. It was a matter if the food in Elysia could hold out long enough for the reinforcements to arrive. The Gauls knew that they didn't have enough food for everyone, so they held a council where they made the hard decision to expel the old and the sick. The townspeople also agreed to send out their women and children. They wanted to save as much food as possible for the fighters, and they also hoped that Caesar would take in the exiles as prisoners which would then exhaust his food supply. However, Caesar didn't take the bait. He didn't let the Gauls expelled from Elysia to enter, so they sat stuck between the walls of the city and Caesar's walls, where they eventually starved to death. Caesar became aware that Gallic reinforcements were on the way. In fact, the number of troops coming was far larger than his own force, which was already engaged in a siege. Now, up until this point, this was a pretty standard siege. The wall and fortifications were large, to be sure, but so far this wasn't something that would stand out in the history books. What happened next, however, is what made this battle famous, and what established Caesar as one of the greatest generals in ancient history. If Caesar broke off the siege to confront the reinforcements, then 80,000 troops from the town would spill out and attack one of his flanks. If he didn't break off the siege, then a quarter million men would be attacking him while he was still besieging the town. Most generals, when put in Caesar's position, would do the prudent thing and retreat. Take your forces, get away, regroup, and fight again another day. What Caesar did was one of the craziest things any general did in the history of warfare. He built another wall. He took all his men and built an even longer wall that encircled the wall he already built. He basically created a fortified military donut. The Romans and their allies were now sandwiched between two walls, serving as the dough in the donut. Vercingetorix and his 80,000 men were inside the donut, and a quarter million relief forces would be outside the donut. You don't have to be a military genius to realize that this was far worse than being surrounded. Caesar was not only going to be totally surrounded by a superior force, but he also had a larger force in the middle of his fortress. It's hard to come up with a worse tactical position than being surrounded, yet Caesar managed to find himself in one. When the reinforcements finally arrived, they camped about a mile away from the fortification. They thought they saw what was a weakness in the Roman walls, and the next morning they marched over 60,000 men to attack at that point. While that was happening, Vercingetorix and his men came out of the town and began attacking the wall anywhere they thought it was weak. Caesar sent one of his leading officers, Labienus, and six cohorts of cavalry to the outer wall to stop the Gaelic reinforcements. He then sent Brutus, yeah, that Brutus, to hold off Vercingetorix on the inner wall. The Romans were constantly putting out fires having to rush from one part of the wall to the other to stop the Gauls. The Roman forces were stretched so thin that every single person sandwiched inside the walls was put to help holding the Gauls back. Eventually, just as the interior wall was starting to get weak, Caesar personally assembled the remaining cavalry inside the walls and broke through to the outside in a last-ditch effort. He wheeled around and began attacking the reinforcing Gauls from behind. His cavalry and the men inside the wall managed to surround and destroy a large number of the Gaelic forces outside the wall, causing the rest of them to flee. Vercingetorix and his men never broke through the inner wall, and after the reinforcements fled, he knew it was over. Caesar had somehow managed to win despite being surrounded from within and without and by a significantly larger force. Vercingetorix, close to starvation inside Elysia, surrendered. He would be held prisoner by the Romans for five years before being ritually strangled at Caesar's triumph. 
This would turn out to be the last great battle against the Gauls. They never seriously united again to challenge the Romans. Gaul was incorporated into the Roman Republic. Back in Rome, they went nuts when they heard the news of the victory in Elysia. There were 20 days of celebrations and games held. Caesar was now the richest and most powerful person in the entire Roman Republic. From here, you know the rest of the story. Caesar marches back to Rome, crosses the Rubicon, the Dias Cast, they have a civil war. Caesar wins another amazing victory at Pharsalus, gets named dictator, and is assassinated by said Brutus. Much of what we know of Elysia came from Caesar himself, and he is an extremely biased source. But by Caesar's own estimate, he killed a million Gauls and enslaved a million more, all in a war which Caesar provoked. Julius Caesar was certainly not a good guy. From a strictly military standpoint, however, was Julius Caesar the greatest general in antiquity? Probably not, but he was a great general, and maybe the greatest general in Roman history, and his performance at Elysia was possibly the greatest, most improbable victory in military history. The associate producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Thor Thompson. If you'd like to support the show, please donate over at Patreon.com. There is content only available to supporters, merchandise, and even opportunities for a show producer credit. If you know someone you think would enjoy the show, please share it with them. Also remember, if you leave a five-star review, I'll read your review on the show.